Hello, and welcome to the Robert A. Heinlein Book Club. And in this episode, I will look at The Long Watch, which was published in, um, I think it's December of 1949, but it was written in 1948, published in the American Legion magazine. And this is a, a pretty good story, which I think uh, pairs well with The Ordeal in Space, which are both about um, really a, making appeals, I think, to the post-World War II generation of American readers. Obviously, this being published in the American Legion magazine means its audience is going to be mostly veterans, uh, more even more so than town and country, but both um, celebrate uh, the experience of, of America's soldiers, but doing it like metaphorically through science fiction context. Uh, they're both set in the future history world. Um, this one, uh, also we see the patrol, the like like we saw in Space Cadet. So I think that basically puts Space Cadet in the future history, if not uh, directly, at least very, very closely, or at least it could have been. Uh, if not, if it's not formally, if we can't formally make that connection, it basically fits into that world. Um, and it's, uh, in this one, while Ordeal in Space is about trauma and the experience of people facing trauma um, during during and after the war, the American, uh, the the story here in the American Legion magazine, The Long Watch, is more about uh, heroic sacrifice. Our main character here is is almost superhuman in his ability to in his courage and sacrifice, and he's he's lifted up here as like a hero of humanity, um, and uh, not just a hero of the patrol, but a hero of all human beings. And it's quite an inspiring story, actually, and and quite intense at various times. The story starts out uh, quite interestingly, and, and I think we see Heinlein playing with narrative styles a little bit here, like in The Green Hills of Earth, where he tries to present the whole thing as a, as a magazine article and kind of an obituary, a, a testament to a, a folk hero of space. Here we have a, a, a New York Times article from 2009 put up at the opening passage and the mystery of what that is and what it, is revealed throughout uh, the story. Um, quote, nine ships blasted off from moon base, one in space, eight of them held, uh, eight of them formed a globe around the smallest. They held the formation all the way to Earth. The small ship displayed the insignia of an admiral, yet there was no living thing of any sort in her. She was not even a passenger ship, but a drone, a robot ship intended for a radioactive cargo. The trip she carried nothing but a lead coffin and a Geiger counter that was never quiet, end quote. So we have like an admiral ship uh, being the tomb essentially or the the coffin for uh, some kind of hero who you assume you presume will be an admiral so that allows a a little bit of a bait and switch in the story and i was pretty clear by the halfway point how it's going to end up it's not a big mystery here but early on there you know it is not clear exactly how heinlein is going to where he's going to go with this story and it it could have been a very different type of uh, tale now, this is set during early years of humans' exploration in space in the future history timeline. Uh, about the time I think of, like, is it like Misfit, like those stories where humans are just kind of venturing out into space? Um, 
Now we have a watch, a patrol kind of a organization here, um, as I said, and so that fits it in kind of like the space cadet narrative too. Um, and so our main character here, Johnny Dahlquist, is the epitome of the values of the patrol. Someone who is willing to sacrifice himself for all of humanity and for the greater values. Um, so the same kind of themes in Space Cadet are revealed in The Long Watch. Um, but like I, like I suggest, I think both this and Ordeal in Space are, are targeting questions about the memory of World War II from very different standpoints. The, the first is like how we deal with trauma and how people overcome trauma and are forced to um, overcome trauma uh, and to what degree they're able to do that. I think he's a little overlap optimistic in that, that story. But nonetheless, it's Heinlein and that's his, that's his beliefs. But in the long watch, I think the question is like, who do we honor and who do we, who do we respect? And all the heroism that maybe often is unrecognized. Now, here we have a character whose heroism is going to be recognized. But he's not clear that at the time his sacrifice, for all he knows, could be, could be futile. It could be, uh, you know, it's only at the last moments of his life that he realizes that his sacrifice actually does matter. But he makes the sacrifice anyways because he has no choice. The, the values he signed up for in the patrol demand he, uh, he defend something higher than, than you know, he has to defend something higher than himself and even his institution. So basically, the story opens with uh, Lieutenant Dahlquist, Johnny Dahlquist, being brought before a colonel. Now, in a different outcome of the story, the admiral who's being buried could have been this, this, this colonel, right, who uplifted himself to admiral or just kind of a generalissimo character. Because what we have here is essentially is the colonel, Colonel Towers, talks to... Um, Johnny Dahlquist, this, this lieutenant, this low-ranked person, and basically tries to recruit him for uh, a coup, uh, an insurrection that the, uh, the patrol is trying to um, achieve in um, over like the UN. It's basically a military coup that's being attempted here. Now, we've seen the arguments presented for why this coup should or can take place. Uh, we've seen these arguments before, all the way back to the roads must roll, where the argument is like, we're the essential class. We're the ones that the system, the society can't do without, so therefore we should be in power. Um, the colonel wanted to talk politics. This is quoting him. Johnny was puzzled. Finally, Towers came to the point. It was not safe, so he said, to leave control of the world in political hands. Power must be held by a scientifically selected group, in short, the patrol. Johnny was startled rather than shocked. In the, as an abstract notion, Towers' notion sounded plausible. The League of Nations had folded up. What would keep the United Nations from breaking up and thus lead to another world war? End quote. So it's, this is written at a time when there's still uncertainty about the future of the UN, the, you know, the Korean War is breaking out. Uh, you had the failure of the last effort at international organization in the League of Nations. So it's still unsure, but we know Heinlein is a believer in the UN. He, in both uh, Space Cadet and especially in Rocket Ship Galileo, you have direct call-outs to the UN as an institution that is going to be the foundation of human unity. So Heinlein's on the side of, of the UN. 
The other story, though, that this reminds us of, not just uh, the ro roads must roll, but we're also reminded of Solution Satisfactory, where basically the, with nuclear bombs, um, the solution becomes some sort of international police force, right? So like in that sense, something like the watch, the, 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 the patrol, is a outcome of the the necessity to have like a world government, right? And then even in that story, Solution Unsatisfactory, the question of like military control of society is taken up. And there's like an element of, I mean, these stories could be maybe rewritten against the grain a little bit, revisited by, by more contemporary authors to, to look at something like the patrol in a more authoritarian sense. Now, Heinlein predicts that and deals with that here in The Long Watch, where you have elements in the patrol who want to seize more power for themselves um, and and think that they are the superior ones. It's like the admirals in Star, Star, Star Trek, right? They're always like power-hungry people, even though the, the captains always are good guys, typically, but uh, admirals tend to be bad in, in Starfleet, right? That's a, that's a cliche to say it at that point, but... Um, as you, you know, like I think Heinlein, like Star Trek writers tend to see the closer you get to the, the common like ensign, the common sailor, the common soldier, the closer you're going to get to true commitment to the values of the institution, right? And that the, the, the virtues of the institution only exist if the people have them and, and carry them on. So anyways, let's get down to it. So that's very simple. Now, why does Dahlquist need to be recruited to the coup? Well, he's like the specialist of the nuclear bombs. And he's told by his, his colonel here that we're going to, uh, as part of this coup, drop uh, some nukes on some, like, some insignificant little town to, as a demonstration of our power. So the quote here is like, Major Morgan needs your help right away to change control frequencies on the bombs. The control frequencies? Naturally, we don't want the bombs jammed before they reach their target. What? You said the idea was to prevent war. Powers brushed it aside. There won't be a war. Just a psychological demonstration. An unimportant town or two. A little bloodletting to save an all-out war. Simple arithmetic. Johnny, or he put a hand on Johnny's shoulder. You're not squeamish, or you wouldn't be a bomb officer. Think of it like a surgical operation. And think of your family. End quote. Now, of course, Johnny is to a degree thinking of his family because they could just as well be members of the town that gets chosen. But also he thinks he must think of the family members who will lose, you know, people in the attack. Right. So he basically has to, like, pretend to go along with this scheme, but instead seeks to disarm or destroy the bombs. And he's the one who can do that. He's an indispensable uh, technician. So again, that, that argument that we see in The Roads Must Roll is in the power and the, the necessity of loyalty of, of technicians is, 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 is clear here. Because if he wasn't fully committed to the values of the patrol and the military in this case, you know, if he wasn't fully committed to those values, he could have easily gone along with towers and been corrupted by it. But he, there's a higher ideal than just duty to a commanding officer. There's a duty to the institution. And he never wavers from it throughout the story. The only tension is 
is basically how he's going to undo the bombs. I mean, halfway through the story anyways. It's not very long, but halfway through the story, it's clear he's seeking the destruction of the bombs uh, or disarming them in some way. The only question is, can he do it in time before the towers and the other conspirators catch on that he's not on their side and will we'll take him out. So um, he basically figures, he finds out he's got like 15 minutes essentially before the party's over, quote, before he's captured by the conspirators, they find out what he's doing. And it's in that time period that he has to make the bombs unusable because only he can fix them. So if he dies, so be it. Like the bombs will not go off and that will save the save that town or the towns that will be destroyed in the, this attack and during this coup attempt. Um, and he, most of it is the, the tension of how he's going to do this. And, and it's mostly Johnny thinking about how he can do it, what techniques can he use, can he physically destroy them, can he disarm them. Um, and anyways, he realizes while doing this that um, the only way to make sure um, he can well. First, he has to create like a a handheld detonator, kind of like a, a dead man switch. So if he gets shot or killed, it'll, the bombs will go off, and yeah, everyone on the ship will die, but it will save the town or the towns that will be destroyed. Um, but then that also gives him the time he needs because he's communicating with Towers, who is aware of what he's doing, and and you know he's you know there's a, there's the back and forth between that. But he's got this dead man switch, so he can uh, negotiate. In, in a way, and and he's able to like play off Tower's assumptions that he's just a naive uh, technician who will do whatever a commanding officer says. Um, but this gives him the time then to disarm the bombs, which you can only do by by basically ex- like breaking open or exposing or doing something, some sciency thing to the core, the, the which has the fissile material in it. The, the uranium or plutonium or whatever. And this basically is suicide, though, because of, of the radiation. Now, while this happens, the coup is um, identified and the powers that be disrupt it. Uh, Towers has to kill himself. And he is uh, a hero for this. Um, so we learn at the end of the story then um, that he's like, because of what he did, he not you know he is like untouchable. He can only be encased in like this ship, separated from everyone else. He's that radioactive. Um, and we get the rest of the New York Times article at the end. So it's it's well done here, where he breaks up the article into two parts. Because if he tells the second part of the article, we don't you know the surprise, the tension, the anxiety you know about what that opening scene is representing is not clear now it's clear it's a funeral escort uh of a ship going to earth um and it's 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 wonderful um the the nine ships landed at chicago port a drone tractor remember it's all drones so no one can touch this it's it's radioactive so everything has to be automated a drone tractor removed the casket from a small ship a ship was then refueled and blasted off in an escape trajectory thrown away into outer space never again to be used for a lesser purpose the tractor progressed to the Illinois town where Lieutenant Dahlquist had been born while the dirge continued. There it placed the casket on a pedestal inside a barrier marking the distance of safe approach. Space Marines, armed reversed and heads bowed, stood guard around it. The crowd stayed outside this circle and still the dirge continued. 
When enough time had passed, long, long after the heap flowers had withered, the lead casket was enclosed in marble, just as you see it today. End quote. So the... I'm not sure the date this happens. This article is in 2009, so... Um, because the, the, the line here, long, long after the flowers have withered. So this must have happened sometime earlier. I'd have to go look at the future history timeline again to, to narrow it on when this story takes place. It doesn't really matter. Um, it's another story of this heroic age um, of human exploration into space along with like the green hills of, of Earth. Um, which, uh, or, or Space Jockey, or those other great stories that we saw in the Saturday Evening Post, uh, Saturday Evening Post stories. I think this is just this set of stories, the ones put together in the Green Hills of Earth anthology, are just a great window into that, that really heroic age of exploration, that frontier moment that Heinlein is so interested in and that Philip Dick himself would be so interested in uh, just a few years after this. Um, now, I think... Connecting this to the story of the of the of the war, right? And I think Heinlein is responding to the war, and you know he did not fight in the war, obviously, um, but he he served in his own way, not really achieving much in that little like think lab think think tank with other science fiction writers. He didn't achieve anything in that, but he wanted to do his part. Um, and, and he did what he could, maybe not too successfully, but he's got great respect for the common soldier, it seems. And we see that in a lot of his work. We see it in, in Space Patrol um, and the beliefs in these institutions' values as being higher than the individual and really trying to achieve something uh, greater than themselves and greater than just like a military. Um, I think he's looking, he's maybe eager for some institution that, can reflect those values. Now, maybe it's the UN, right? Maybe it's something else. It, it can't just be a national military that can do it. It's got to be something higher, but it's got to be something with like those those values. Uh, and that's why he imagines the patrol. Um, you know, uh, I mean, it's really, this connects really well with with, with Space Cadet, because Space Cadet, something I didn't really mention too much in the series on Space Cadet, but I probably should have, is the emphasis on the sacrifice of individuals. Uh, there are several moments where the names of the dead are called out and then people speak for them, right? That these people must be remembered. Their sacrifices matter, even the minor ones. And here we have a major sacrifice. But it's not one he had to make, right? He could have easily alone along with the coup d'etat, but he chose to defend the, the, the patrol and the society the patrol is, meant, is, is deemed to defend. So he, you know, went for the higher value. And I think that, that's Heinlein's point here. Uh, I think it's, it's a little more uh, black and white than something like Ordeal in Space where you have an investigation of the trauma of the war, but how many young men like have stories like, like Johnny Dahlquist here? Um, how many have faced death, sacrificed themselves for others, but don't have like this great funeral and don't have this, the same memory. How many people buried in military cemeteries, you know, have, have stories like this, but aren't remembered. And I, and I think Heinlein is really 
bother that these people aren't remembered. And instead, we remember the generals, the leaders who are much more on the face of it corruptible, I guess. So I think this is a really good story. Um, I really enjoyed reading this one. Um, so next up will be, I guess, Gentlemen Be Seated, which is not nearly as, I think, compelling as as either Ordeal in Space and The Long Walk. It's more of a funny little set piece, but we'll, we'll talk about it next time. So anyways, uh, that's it for now. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you then.